Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You think training professional athletes that they would be the best of the best and do whatever you ask of them. But with success comes ego. So often you're dealing with ego in regards to what you're requiring them to do on a day-to-day basis. And some players may think they're above and beyond what you're asking them to do. A lot of players feel as though they've got to a certain part of their career without your help before. So why would I need to do what you're telling me to I'm already at the top level. Why do I need to do what you're telling me to do? Welcome to Men's Health Australia's Strength Sessions podcast, a forum in which we talk to men from all walks of life who found the strength within, stomp on adversity and achieve their goals. Whether you're looking for an edge in the gym, at work, on the sporting field, or just want to level up across the board, the men featured here can help unlock your potential. I'm Editor-in-Chief Ben Jody. Since 2018, Adam Waterson has been the strength and conditioning coach for the LA Galaxy. As Waterson, who's a Herbalife nutritional advisor, explains to us in today's chat, it's his job to make sure some of the best footballers on the planet are in optimum physical shape. If it sounds like a dream job, well, it's not one without its challenges. In this episode, Waterson tells us how he rose from humble beginnings in Australia's old National Soccer League to reach the heights of the MLS. He also takes us behind the curtain to reveal what it's like to deal with some of the egos that dominate football at the highest level, and he discusses the crucial role an SNC coach plays in building a winning culture. Adam. Hey, Ben. How you going? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. <laughs> um, where, where are you at today? I'm still at work in LA at our training facility, so it's 4.30 here now. We just finished the training probably about two o'clock and then just tidying up some admin and everything. So, yeah, based in LA. Okay. What, what suburb is the ground in? It's the training it's ground? Carson. Okay, cool. Right. So, it's um, probably not the most desirable part of LA, close to Compton and those types of areas. Um, but I live about 25 minutes away in Redondo Beach, which is South Bay, LA. It's uh, quite a nice part of the LA. Yeah, I yeah. really like it near the, near the beach and it reminds me back home, Sydney weather, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to speak to us today and uh, making time out of your schedule. Well, if you can just tell us a little bit to begin with about your, your background and how you got into training in, in as a career. Yeah, sure. So going through school, I did high school in Sydney, Australia. And growing up, I was just a, a, my father was a bit of a rugby league player himself. Oh. My mother played professional hockey. So I was brought out into a sporting family. Um, I was always okay at school. I was never going to be an academic. So I, I went down the sporting path and I thought, you know, if I'm not uh, able to be a professional athlete myself, what's the next best thing that I could do? And I figured that would be to coach professional athletes. So from an early age, I kind of had in my mind that I'd like to work with a professional sport and I really enjoyed soccer. Um, so I always had that as a goal in mind. So I 
after I finished my high school, I went to Australian Catholic University at North Sydney and studied exercise and sports science. And as part of part of that course, we had to do uh, a work experience module. And one of my lecturers was Darren Burgess, who's quite well known in the strength conditioning industry. And he was uh, running an NSL program out of Parramatta called Parramatta Power. And I actually did a two year internship with Darren as part of my university degree. So that gave me a bit of experience into how a professional club can be run. Um, and following that, I then did my Cert 3 and Cert 4 in personal training, um, my Level 1 and Level 2 as part of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. So I was just getting my qualifications, getting my experience, um, and pretty much volunteering my time into getting experience. That's what you had to do at that age is just tell, tell a, like an organisation you're willing to you know, volunteer 10, 20 hours a week to go and fill water bottles, carry boots, do what you needed to do to get your foot in the door. So after Parramatta Power, I then went into managing health and fitness clubs in Sydney uh, through the YMCA of Sydney. And it was just a a chance meeting that when the A-League started in 2005, the head coach came from Germany and moved to Kellyville, New South Wales. And he, he came to the gym that I was managing and I recognized him and I was like, wow, like, you know, I'm a big fan of yourself. And if there was ever an opportunity to come and do some stuff at Sydney FC, please consider me. And it turned into another kind of internship part, a part-time job. And that was in 2005. Um, And that was kind of my first taste of being uh, part of a a professional setup um, off my own bat rather than just being an intern. I was employed by the club. So I spent 2005 at Sydney FC, and then I got my first opportunity to to be head of strength and conditioning at Newcastle Jets in 2010. So I spent two years at Newcastle Jets. From there, I went to Western Sydney Wanderers, and I had three three really successful seasons with the Wanderers. Um, We were sponsored by Herbal Life Nutrition at the time as well. That was fantastic. From Western Sydney, I went to FC Seoul in South Korea. I had a stint in Korea. Um, that was that was a, a really interesting time. Um, the culture was really different to what I've been used to, obviously, in Australia. Um, and when I did that finished, I came back, and that's when I started kind of my own business and did some contracting for the New South Wales Police Force. Um, and then after the police force, I can talk more about the police force, but after the police force, is when LA Galaxy come along and this is my fifth season with LA Galaxy. So that's kind of been my ride through the professional ranks of soccer, I guess. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a good uh, good bio uh, there. Um, yeah. Yeah. A few things interest me on a personal level. One of them was yeah. uh, I, I, I lived in South in Seoul for two years um, wow. back in uh, 2000, 2002. And uh, yeah. so... Yeah, I definitely relate to the culture oh, uh, yeah. of, of that. Uh, what what yeah. part of so, do, which part, uh, suburb were you based in there? Guri, G U R I, Guri. Okay. It was yeah. near the training grounds, um, not far from Rapongi. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, which was a nice, <laughs> a fun part of the town. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, like just their traditions are you respect your elders, so. I had to be at the training ground before the head coach arrived and I could only leave after the head coach finished. So yeah. these guys work massive days. So I'm talking 12, 14-hour shifts. Yeah. So 
And I was the only English speaking coach on staff. So just there was so much idle time that I was just like, wow, like I could see my life just drifting by before my eyes. You know, it was just so challenging. But um, look, you learn a lot about yourself. It was great to experience a different culture for a short period of time. Um, Working with their very disciplined group of players, like they're, they're almost robotic. You told them to do something and there was never an argument. They just got on and did it. And that was fantastic to experience that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. I, well, I was also interested in the police force. Um, yeah. So I guess that was kind of a break out of um, yeah. for you there. So how did, how did you find going from training professional athletes to training police officers? Almost refreshing in a way. You think yeah. training professional athletes that they would be the best of the best and do whatever you ask of them. But with success comes ego. So often you're dealing with ego in regards to what you're requiring them to do on a day-to-day basis. And some players may think they're above and beyond what you're asking them to do. A lot of players feel as though they've got to a certain part of their career without your help before. So why would I need to do what you're telling me to? I'm already at the top level. Why do I need to do what you're telling me to do? Um, Ashley Cole was a perfect example. At the Galaxy, Ashley Cole's a left back that played 200 games for England, probably one of the left backs, best left backs in the world, and he never lifted a weight in his career. So I be- I'm a big believer of getting the play strong, robust. So trying to get him into the gym, he would say to me, I've won a World Cup, I've won a Champions League. Why would I do this when I've never done it before? And when he says that in front of the group of players, it's quite challenging to really come back and say, well, I think it's for the betterment. So I just said, Ash, do me a favor. You can just go in the gym, sit on a mat and stretch. As long as you're in the gym, it, it looks good for the other players. Does you, you know, you're know, creating an example for the other guys to get in and do, do their work. Um, so, yeah, getting back to your question, like training an athlete is great because they're, they're specimens. They're, you know, their athletic ability and their capacity is, a, is outstanding, whereas I found that the police force they had a stronger mentality. They were will, more willing to buy into what you wanted them to do because they appreciated your knowledge. They appreciated your experience of working with athletes and they really did value your contribution towards their health a little bit more than what I found with athletes. Yeah. So were these um, guys, are these guys, were you training just across the police force or academy ones who come out of yeah. gold? Yeah. It was, so it was two parts of the program. One part was called reconditioning which was getting the officer who was injured back into duty okay the other part was training the tactical operations unit which is essentially the SWAT team so I had two massive spectrums to deal with we had because the police wear the gun on their hip 24 7 and it's quite heavy so their pelvis is always you know asymmetrical um, and it's quite heavy. So there was a lot of lumbar spine, hip issues. So there was a lot of just, you know, rehab type of training that we had to do with the police officers. Whereas on the other hand, training the SWAT guys, mate, they, they were really, really good athletes. They were alpha males. They were ready to run through brick walls. Um, so that was fun. I was able to do a lot of the professional lifting that I'll do in the elite environments with these guys because they were strong. They were yeah. capable, had a fantastic work ethic. Um, so that that was really really enjoyable. Yeah, and so I guess with the SWAT guys, is is the priority? I don't know. Overall strength and conditioning, like just is there any particular focus on parts of the body or yeah? 
different capacities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like in the police force, I found that you're always preparing them for wrestle. Um, there's a lot of like uh, combat where they need to take uh, a crook down to the ground. So shoulders, arms, chest, back. You need to be strong through the upper limbs. Um, but also there's a lot of sitting around in cars because if they're on an operation where they need to be kind of undercover and they're waiting in the car for their call to get out and run and, and catch the criminals, there's a lot of sitting down with heavy weight vests. So they needed to be strong through their pelvis, through their core, um, and, th- and that's for prolonged periods of time. So it was really the whole body needed to be finely tuned to make sure that they could cope with the demands of the job. And that was different from sport, whereas a football player, you know, you you know that a game of soccer requires a lot of high-speed running, a lot of sprinting, a lot of change of direction, and we have a specific training week to get them prepared for the next game. Whereas in the police force, we never knew when the next job was going to come along. So I needed to be careful if I had a session on a specific day where it was really big volume on their legs, but an hour later, they might get called out for the Lint Siege Cafe and yeah. they had to, you know, they had to, uh, you know, run and sit in the car for 12 hours and then spend another five hours in an active shooter environment um, where they're going to be heavily fatigued and taxed from the gym session that I just did. So it was constantly moving environment where you just needed to do your best to almost microdose bits of strength on a daily basis so that they're not too fatigued, but they're getting the strength and everything they need to be uh, an athlete to, you know, withstand the rigors of the job. Wow. Yeah, that, that's really, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So I think I read in one of your interviews, uh, this maybe goes a bit back to ego and stuff, but you, yeah. you when you first joined the Jets, uh, you yeah. said it took a little bit of a while to get used to the players' banter and that kind yeah. of thing. Is that yeah. true? Is that yeah, absolutely. Like, I think going into a club as the fitness coach, you're almost the most disliked person in the club because you're the one telling them to do all the hard work. Yeah. So you're telling them, you're, you know, today you're going to have to run six kilometres of that 500 metres at high speed of that 200 metres is sprinting. And after training, you're going to go into the gym and you're going to lift so much weight. So it was always me telling them, they're going to need to push more, work harder. And some players just don't like that. Their work ethic isn't that great. Um, so you've got to have thick skin. And a lot of players always, oh, ads, you know, um, I'm, I'm tired, I'm fatigued. Can I do it tomorrow? I don't want to do it today. So you're always getting these excuses. Um, so, yeah, you really do need thick skin. And in America, my accent is different to, to, to the average American. So And they're always giving me the Australian jokes of, you know, kangaroo skippy this and that and um you know those types of things you just need thick skin on a daily basis to withstand all the bullshit that you get thrown so yeah i don't think just about just anybody could put up with that um where do you think you kind of got the strength or capacity to deal with that and not let it not be intimidated or and still be able to do your job i guess yeah great question i know i really do feel that just comes from experience and getting out of your comfort zone and putting yourself in the position where it's sink or swim. The best thing I ever did was that internship when I just got out of uni and stood in front of a group of 25 men who were probably five to 10 years older than what I had. 
they've been doing this for 10 to 15 years and then I'm telling them straight out of uni that I need you to run, I need you to lift, I need you to do this and that. And you just learn from that. You get confidence of when you can see your instructions put into place and then follow those instructions. And also you get the experience of when you do get some bite back and players challenge you, that's all part of the learning process. And I think just by me doing this for the last 15 years, you know, you develop that thick skin, you develop that resiliency to overcome, you know, you know what's coming. So you almost in the back of your mind expect these comments. So you almost have an answer for them before they they throw it out to you. You know, I see, I do a lot of interviews in my current role now to build a team of staff around us. And a lot of kids just come out of university and they're really strong on the sports science, on the computer. But if you put them in front of a group of people they shit themselves. They they just go they go to water. And I like to think that me being a little bit older, I'm 40 now. So before my day it was less computers, more practical, more coaching. Whereas now I feel it's changed a little bit. It's more time spent behind a computer screen and less coaching. So I'm really thankful that I cut my teeth in an era where you were demonstrating you were out there in the coal face a lot more. Yeah. Okay. All right, now, so you joined Galaxy in 2018. Um, yep. How would you describe the, those years? How how's it been? Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. The MLS really is a league that's on the rise. It, I really do believe it's going to be a top five league over time. Um, the infrastructure that they have in place, the, the population that they have in the United States just allows for big crowds every week, fantastic stadiums that we play in. They really do look after the players exceptionally well in regards to their hydration, their supplementation, their meal plans, their weight rooms, the sports science, the recovery. Everything is top-notch and they don't really spare any expense in what they do provide for their players compared to the A-League where we were on a bit of a shoestring budget at the Wanderers. Um, so we really had to got get by with relying on Herbalife to provide us with, you know, protein bars. Um, I got donations from YMCA gyms to help me fit out the gym initially, whereas I come to Galaxy and it's almost a blank checkbook in regards to what do we need to be the best. And here's the here's 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 it at your disposal. So there's no excuses. You know yeah. what you what you want is what you're going to get, and the players need to be at prime condition come game day because you've got everything at your disposal. Yeah. And since you, 2018 has, I'm sorry, I don't know how the club's fared in that time. Has, has it, how's it been? Yeah, there's been some really good highs. There's been some really deep lows. Um, we've gone through four different coaches in those years. Um, so I've been uh, fortunate enough to survive the coaching changes. Often in my industry, if you're not affiliated with a specific coach, when they get sacked, you often get sacked as well. Um, yeah. When I got hired by Galaxy, I was hired by the club. I wasn't brought in by a specific coach. So that's been probably to my advantage with all the coaching changes. So, yeah, we've had some big-name players come through as well. We've had Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Ashley Cole, Steven Gerrard, and they've wow. been able to bring the – yeah, they've brought the club some really good success. Um, but there's also been a lot of challenges along the way with being a big club, a successful club, a lot of um, ego 
comes like people come to LA thinking that uh, it's a kind of a lifestyle destination and maybe the hard work doesn't need to be done day in and day out. Um, so it's a little bit challenging. Some players may come to LA for the wrong reasons. Um, so they're just some of the, the challenges that I face, but it's been rewarding working with players like Ebra and, you know, yeah. Ashley Cole and those types. So it's been, been rewarding. Okay. So I guess in your job, you say the training um, is directly um, targets football and what the players need or is focused on, you know, overall their overall strength and condition. Like how much of it is directly targeted football related stuff and how much is just general uh, condition? Sure. I think the more the professional the game has gotten, the players are getting faster, the players are getting stronger, the players are getting fitter, the game's getting quicker. So it'd probably be a little bit naive to suggest that you can do all your training focused on just football. And my belief is you need to have elements of pure conditioning in your program to really get the players to a certain level to excel on game day. So we, yes, we have a lot of our training done with the soccer ball at their foot. So a lot of small based game training, but we also have elements of just pure running, pure gym-based strength training in the program to really kind of get them above their capacities, if you get what I mean. We really try to challenge them to exceed the limits that they thought they could get to just by playing football. We do a lot of isolated running and, and it's only short, like a, a typical training session might be let's say 75 minutes in duration of that probably 50 minutes would be pure football and the additional 20 minutes would be specific on whether it's working on maximal speed high speed running speed and agility plyometrics it would be a small component but it would be regular little micro doses of that throughout the training weeks majority of the session will be football but we would drip feed little different physical elements into the training program on a daily basis. Yeah. And in pre-season, does it, is it a little bit less football, more conditioning? Yeah, for sure. For sure. We would probably then add a lot more physical training components into the early stages of pre-season. It really depends. Like in the A-League, we had a 14-week pre-season. So we really had a huge amount of time to develop the players' physical capacities in that early part of the preseason, let's say the first month of preseason, I was probably fortunate enough to have 30 minutes on a daily basis where I could devote to getting the players more fitter, just purely putting on running drills. Whereas compared to the MLS, we have a six-week preseason. That's it. And we start friendly games in week two. So I have got one week where I need to get the players to a certain level to tolerate the demands of a game, and then yeah. we're into games from week two. So I can't get anywhere near as much as what I did in Australia, um, but we probably do more in the off-season with these guys than what I did in Australia because I knew I was going to have so much time in the preseason. We probably gave them a little bit more time to refresh and enjoy their holidays in Australia, whereas in the States, when we finish, they maybe have two weeks off and then – I give them a home program, which is monitored. We give them a GPS to take home. We give them a heart rate to take home. So we're constantly monitoring what they're doing in their off-season so that when they come back in for pre-season, they're already at a certain level 
I don't need to waste time developing, let's say, aerobic capacity, which is long, slow running. We don't do any of that because that's what they do before they come in to the team environment. All right. Um, I think you've spoken before about the importance of culture in a club's success. So what role does the SNC department um, play in building that winning culture? Yeah, I, I think we contribute a huge amount to building the culture in a club. Like, let's be honest, culture for me starts at the top and that's with the, the GM, the CEO, the head coach. I really do believe that they are the ones to set the tone of what the culture is throughout the club. But we're the ones in front of the players day in and day out. We build big relationships with the players because they confide in us. When they're having a fight with their girlfriend and they can't train on a certain day, they tell us. They don't tell the head coach. We relay that information onto the head coach. So we really do build that network of trust throughout the playing staff and playing group. So I feel as though if we can set a certain standard of excellence, what we demand from the players day in and day out, that really does help filter in and help the coach then deliver that culture through the entire club. So that's how I feel as though we play a huge part in that by delivering the message to the players and really demanding them to be at a certain level day in and day out. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to get some kind of workout from you. Um, yeah. I, I wondered, do you, and I, I also wanted your personal what you do for yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I wondered, is what you do for yourself quite similar to what you do with your players or is it quite different? Uh, there's components that is quite similar. Um, as I'm getting older, I probably can't do as much as I want to do anymore and that I do demand of the players. So the intensity is probably where it's different. Um, but my, let's talk about my training regime. I have an 80-20 rule where 80% of the time throughout the week I'm pretty good. 20% of the time, I really don't care and I let go and I have a beer and I have a cheat meal and I, I don't need to train. But those 80% of the times is my my routine is I get in before the plays in the morning and from about 7 a.m. to about 7.45, I lift weights. And those yeah. weights, uh, I tend to do whole body workouts yes. and I tend to do more, as I'm getting older, it's more higher reps and less load, but I try and keep the intensity quite high. And then after training is when I do my interval running, whether that's on a treadmill or out on the grass. I do 15 minutes of 20 seconds on, 10-second recovery, and I just do whether it's straight line running or on the spin bike or on the arm ergo, I try and get a 15 to 20-minute cardio block in the, the day. So it's 45 of weights and 20 minutes of high-intensity cardio each day. So that's about an hour, probably five days a week. Um, and in between that, I might run with a player in a rehab session. I might join in a gym session with a player. Um, so to be honest, mate, I can do a, a three-hour workout on some days um, and the other days on the weekend. That's why I just try to take the foot off the pedal when I get a chance on the weekend and spend time with the missus and, and the kids and that. Um, but, yeah, that's my daily workout, whereas the players, their day generally starts with breakfast served at the club they will then do a, a prehab activation type session. We then go out onto the field, train for anywhere between 60 to, to 90 minutes, come back in, do either a, a, a light stretch mobility session, depending where we are in the week, or a heavy eccentric dominant gym session. Or when we get closer to the games, the gym sessions are more focused on power. 
and then we get them ready for the game on the weekend. So I don't know if it's of interest, but our training periodization is normally we play on a Saturday, we do a recovery session on a Sunday, Monday is a day off, and then we do game day minus four, three, two, one, and then we play on the Saturday. That's when we have a, a seven-day turnaround. That's our ideal structure for our build-up. Yeah. Um, just in your own gym, that gym workout, are you able to tell us a few of the moves of the actual movements that you do? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I really enjoy overhead pressing type movements. So whether that's a barbell or a dumbbell push press or a, a single arm torsionator press, I just really enjoy pushing weights above my head. Um, I then do a lot of compound type movements such as lunging, squatting, bench pressing, um, those general movements to get get myself strong, um, but a lot of whole body movements I really try to incorporate. What kind of um, sets and reps are you doing on those? Yeah, mate, when I'm trying to develop strength because I still try and challenge myself to get stronger, I normally do anywhere between two to four sets of four to eight repetitions. Um, but when I'm doing more circuit-based, I probably do three sets of anywhere between 12 to 15 repetitions. So at a lighter weight, but I'm able to, you know, push out a couple more reps to kind of get the heart rate a little bit higher and less rest in between my movements. Okay. Um, and do you deadlift or squat? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't go anywhere near as heavy as what I used to, um, but I, I there are two big movements that are really do play a big part in my program. I think it's important to have a really strong posterior chain. So deadlifts and single leg deadlifts play a big part of my program. Um, and I kind of alternate those. One week, I will do more of a bilateral week where I'm doing more double leg deadlifts, double leg kettlebell, um, hamstring, yo-yos. On another week, I'll then focus on more unilateral. So single leg exercises where it might be a single leg RDL, a single leg hamstring slider, um, yeah, so I kind of alternate between the two just to provide some variety and keep the body guessing and challenging myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, just a little box that we do just for fun. Uh, what is your favourite exercise? Yeah, I'd say uh, barbell push press. I really enjoy the barbell push press. Uh, least favourite? Probably rear foot elevated split squats or Bulgarian split squats where you have your foot up on a bench, one foot out in front, two dumbbells. I just find that bloody painful and uh, you need to train your left leg. Then you move to your right leg. So it takes a little bit more time. Um, and when you go heavy, you're sore for days. So that's probably my least favorite exercise. Cheap, your cheat meal. Uh, I enjoy Thai food and I've yeah. found that hard to get over in the States, mate, to be honest. And I found Sydney had some really good go-to yeah. Thai restaurants. So um, that was my cheat in the, in USA, probably there's damn good Mexican. Um, yeah. So that's probably been my go-to over here, but my cholesterol has gone through the roof now. So <laughs> I need to be careful with the amount of, because uh, they tend to deep fry a lot of their stuff. Yeah. If, at, yeah. at the Thai restaurant, what what dish would you generally go to? Uh, I love the beef patsy yu. Uh, yeah. More um, of the soy noodle, yeah. Uh, strangest training habit, if you have anything that's a bit out of left field. I probably do an excessive amount of calf raises. A, because I wasn't blessed with genetically big legs. And yeah. B, when I was 18, I broke my leg and I've still got a screw 
uh, six screws and a plate in my fibula. So I've always been trying to strengthen through my ankle, keep that range of motion nice and strong through the ankle. Um, so I just do probably every second day, I do a lot of calves. You might have answered this because uh, your wildest injury was was that your yeah, worst? Injury? Yeah, that's been my worst. Playing football um, at Ride City State League, 18 years old, bad tackle. Uh, a guy just lunged in and hit me studs up and snapped my leg in half. And I actually didn't wait for the ambulance. I got my dad who was watching me. I knew there was a bad injury and I didn't want to sit around. So I jumped in the car and he took me to the hospital. And yeah, I, I broke my leg pretty badly and I was out for about nine months. Yeah. All right. Just uh, last question really is your, yeah. um, do you want to stay in um, MLS and Galaxy? Like, is that your future dreams or would you like to go Premier League or come back to Australia? Or what, what do you think? Yeah. You know what? I, I ask this to myself a lot. And if I'm being perfectly honest, right now at the age I'm at and where I'm at in my family life, my, I've got a two-year-old and I, my wife is due in two weeks oh, with wow. my second. And I look at where I'm at in my career. The MLS, I feel, is a really good league. I feel it's going to get better and better. LA is a fantastic part of the world to be living in. It reminds me of Sydney. The weather's fantastic, 350 days of the year. And I have a really good work-life balance. Yeah. And I often think to myself, yes, the incentive to go and challenge myself at a big club like Manchester United, Man City, Barcelona is definitely there. But maybe if I was probably five years ago or in five years' time okay. when the kids are a bit older, I figure right now I have a really, really good balance at LA Galaxy and I would be happy to stay where I'm at for my work career. And also when I get home, I think LA is a really cool place to be with my wife and kids right at this stage of my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it'd be, it sounds like you've got a good kick to me. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it is, mate. It is. I do enjoy it. Yeah, that is yeah. a pretty great team in a, a league that's growing, so I think it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I want to thank you because, yeah, I've interviewed a lot of trainers and, you know, normally it's pretty nuts and bolts stuff, but I feel like you have kind of uh, given us a little bit more of a story and insight into what it's actually like to be a trainer. And nice. I feel like a lot of readers will relate to, a lot of our readers might be my aspiring personal trainers or whatever, but yeah, yeah. kind of have really, we've never really talked about um, the mental side or dealing with egos, those kind of things that yeah. those people yeah. might not have considered. So I think they will find it very useful. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. And what I'd probably suggest to the, if it, there is younger readers, like try not to get too high with the wins and the highs and too low with the losses because I did that earlier in my career where I really did ride the the roller coaster of wins and losses and emotions. And I lost a relationship in, in this game because I was too invested into my work and I was just neglecting when I would go home, I wasn't present. I was constantly thinking about the job and I just couldn't never switch off. Mm. And I feel as though, I've had discussions with other experienced SNCs and just by being in the job and obviously a family coming along, I think it's important to stay, take a step back and understand that I'm not curing cancer. I'm a strength and conditioning coach and I, I just need to do the best I can when I'm at work. But when I go home, I really do need to leave my work at work and be present for my family. And too often I see coaches 
in the strength and conditioning field invest 100% of their time in their life into that. And you're so easily disposable. Then if a coach comes in and wants to bring his guy, you're going to lose your job no matter how damn good you are. So I, I think it's important to understand that, to keep the balance and to keep everything in perspective um, because too often you get married to the job and it, and it bites you in the ass. It really does. Yeah, no, that's so, a good advice. Yeah. No, it's something we always preach balance in. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. awesome, man. Yeah. All right, Adam, um, thank you very much and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Much appreciated and I hope to speak to you again one day. Yeah, that'd be good. All right, take All right. it easy. For more from Men's Health, pick up a copy of our latest issue. You can find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at menshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at menshealthau. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.